Boy, man, we came here today to what? Worship God, exactly. That's what we came here to do. And uh, if you came here for any other reason, I'm sorry to disappoint you. If you came here for a show, we don't have much of a show. If you came here for good preaching, you should have stayed home and watched YouTube preachers because they're a lot better people than me. But guys, we came here today as a church family to be together, to, to have Christian fellowship, to worship God, to give God our worship together. Amen? That's exactly what we're here for. So uh, uh, guys, we're in a series called One Thing, seven times in the Bible where the phrase one thing appears. And we are in part five. If you guys missed the previous four, I want to invite you to go to our YouTube page, look up Catalyst Christian Church, Nicholasville, Kentucky. All of our sermons are there. You can subscribe to our podcast and listen to it whenever you want. Uh, We have lots of downloads. Actually, people from all over the world watch our sermons and listen. It's pretty amazing what the internet can do now, getting out God's word to people. Um, our, our second largest country, interestingly enough, after the United States, is Pakistan. Pakistan and India. So no matter what the governments try to do, can't stop the word of God. Amen? So, uh, so we are here. I want you guys to turn to in your Bibles. If you have a Bible, you can look up on the YouVersion Bible app if you have that. I highly recommend you download that. If not, you can follow along the screen on Philippians 3, 7 through 17. We're going to be there the whole time. So uh, that's just a great passage. If you want to highlight it, highly recommend it. But the main thing today is what, is what has happened is not nearly as important as what will happen. Where you're going is far more important than where you have been. All right, so we pick up here Paul's letter to the Philippians here in Philippians 3, 7 through 17. He writes this, whatever gains, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in, in Christ. Righteousness that comes from God on the base of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection, the participation in his sufferings, it's becoming like him in his death, and so, if, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not only have I, not that I've already obtained all this, he writes, or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold for me. Hold of me, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have attained it all. I've taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which Christ is called, God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you, are uncle- you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. Join together in following my example, Paul writes, brothers and sisters, and just if you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So the Christian life is described in the Bible as running a race. Uh, it begins the moment you become a Christian. Uh, if, and, and so I want to ask you a question. How many of you all, uh, and, and how many of you all are followers of Jesus Christ right now? This, that, that's what you are. Yeah. So if you just raised your hand, you are in the race, okay? The race is a lifelong marathon, not a sprint. It lasts for your entire life. And there's only, the, the moment you got saved, you entered the race. And it doesn't end until one of two things happen. One, you die, or two, Jesus returns. That's the only time your race is over. We're all in this race. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, hey, we're all in this race. All in this race, exactly, all right? 
God did not put you here to be a professional critic. He did not put you here to uh, watch from the stands. He did not put you here to whine and complain about how bad things are, which I tend to do a lot. Okay, he puts you in here to run this race. And so I got four words for you guys in this passage, four things that I want you to take home with you. The first word is this, assessment. Everybody say assessment. Assessment, okay, Philippians 3, 8. He says this, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. So Paul assesses his life, okay? He states that the greatest decision he ever made in his life is knowing Jesus Christ. How many of y'all can give that an amen? The greatest decision you've ever made is following Jesus Christ. Absolutely, yes it is. Okay, becoming a Christian. He reflects over his previous life about the stuff that he, that he had, the stuff that he thought was so important, but now it's just garbage. He reflects over his life not believing that Jesus was the Son of God, okay? And, and, and he, he, he looks over the fact that he had killed Christians. He killed people like you and me. Simply before, because of our belief in Jesus Christ. He tried to destroy the church. He's reflecting over that. Okay, he had tried to single-handedly destroy the church. And those of you guys that have, that have read the book of Acts, Acts chapter nine, he's on the road to, to probably to a church like ours. He's on the road to Damascus to come and, and kick down the doors and drag us all off to prison to get us to, to kill us and everything like that. And he meets Jesus and he's knocked off of his uh, off of his donkey <laughs> onto his donkey. Okay, and and uh, and Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why do, you per- why do you persecute me? And he has this conversion experience. Okay, he becomes a believer. And he gives up everything, loses everything that he was doing. He loses his beliefs, his reputation. He becomes a follower of Jesus Christ there in chapter, Acts chapter 9. And he didn't complain about what he gave up. Called it rubbish, called it garbage. He said, I consider everything a loss compared with knowing Christ. See, guys, we tend to hold on to the things of this world, we really do. Things that, that just make no sense. And we think they're so important. These things keep us from having the life that Christ wants us to have. You think these things are so great, we have such great worth and value. So many of us would just have so much better lives if we just gave up the things that are stopping us from running this race. There's, not, there's nothing more important than knowing Christ. Nothing. There's nothing you will do, no decision you'll make, no possession that you can have, no career that is close to knowing Jesus Christ, Paul says. So Paul was approximately 30 years old when he became a Christian, 30. How many people are in your 30s? 30s? 30s are a tough decade. That was my tough decade of life. I'm very glad to be in my 40s. Okay, 30s are just tough. But uh, he was about 30 years old. And when he writes the, the book of Philippians, he writes the letter, he's in his 60s. We don't know exactly where it is, but, but he's been a Christian, been following Christ for approximately 30 years. Okay? Right. So I want you guys, I want you to get a number in your mind. If you're a believer in Christ today, I want you to get a number in your mind how long you've been following Christ. Some of you uh, may have been a Christian for one week, two months, uh, maybe 10 years, 30 years, maybe 50 years or more. But I want you to get that number in your mind, okay? How long you've been following Christ. If you're not a believer in here, I want you to get the number zero. We're glad you're here. And I pray that you will change that by the time this sermon is done, okay? I believe everyone needs to know Jesus Christ. Okay, but so, so I've been a Christian for 31 years. That's my number, 31. Um, I was a senior in high school. I was 17 years old. It was Jan- January 17th, 1992, was when, when I, I basically walked away from everything. 
Uh, I walked away from the rubbish, from the garbage, everything I thought was so important. I decided to follow Jesus Christ, lost every friend I had. I lost everything, you know, basically like Paul said, I lost everything. Didn't give up anything worth giving up, okay? Uh, if you're not a Christian, I want you to write down the number zero. And every one of you should know how long you've been following Jesus. Everyone. So Paul's been following Jesus for 30 years. In verse 13, he says this, I don't yet consider myself to have taken hold of it. He goes, I've been following Jesus Christ for 30 years now, guys. <clears throat> now, guys, you hear that? Yeah. Uh, and I haven't gotten it all yet. All right? I haven't gotten it there. I'm not where I want to be. That's what he's saying. Not, my honest assessment is that I'm not where I want to be. Uh, I'm not quite sure where I want to be. I'm not, not quite where I should be, where I want to be. So he's looking back over the last 30 years. And he's made a lot of progress, but he knows he's not where he should be. Now, I want you to look down at that number, you know, that you got in your mind, okay? And make an honest assessment where you are and your Christian race. This race is called the Christian walk. And you say, compared to who? Well, bad news. Not your spouse, not your neighbor, not your pastor. Compared to Jesus. The goal is Jesus. We're supposed to be like Jesus. So a lot. So, so when you say, how am I doing? Where am I? What's my honest assessment Am I a lot like Jesus? Am I a little like Jesus? Nothing like Jesus or exactly like Jesus? See, that's the goal. So I want you guys to make your own honest assessment of how you're running this race called Christianity. That's the first thing Paul does. Um, see, the thing is, with all the technology we got right now, we got all kinds of ways to make assessments, okay? Uh, you go to, the, go to the gym, man. Everybody's got one of those monitors. You got an Apple Watch or a you know, one of those armband things, and you, you know your heart rate, you can know how many calories you burn, you know, uh, uh, how many steps you've gotten, all this stuff, it, it, and people plug in their diet, how many carbs they've eaten, how much protein they've eaten, how many macros, and all this stuff, uh, you know, got to get to my target heart rate, how many steps I've gotten in today, you know, they plug in, they, like I said, they plug in their diet and everything, they get honest assessments of where they are. I don't, I don't do that. All I know is it's a lot harder to do pull-ups than it used to be. That's the only thing I know. That's my honest assessment of my workouts. When my kids have the Apple Watch, it measures their heart rate, body fat, percentage, steps, all this stuff. And so they get all this honest assessment back because of technology. And somebody says, well, well, you can't measure the Spirit of God. You can't, measure, can't assess that. Well, I, I agree. But you can ask. You can measure and you can record some things like this. Do you read your Bible regularly? Uh, ask yourself these questions. When's the last time you led someone to Christ? There, there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people in this state that don't know Jesus. Uh, when was the last time? Uh, when was the last time you prayed for the lost in our community? Um, you can ask yourself, are, are, are you part of a community group, which we're big into here? If you're a visitor here, man, fellowship and community, man, that is what we do, okay? Uh, how's your quiet time going? Are you serving using your gifts that God has given you? Um, are you inviting people to church? Uh, even, even closer to home, does my spouse know that Christ is first in my life? Um, am I being a godly example to my children? Will they follow Christ because of the way that I treasure him? These are assessments we can make. And the, the question I ask God all the time, God, are you pleased with my life? Are you pleased with my life? I ask that question to God every day. So that's the assessment. So the second word, after, we, after Paul makes an assessment, then the second word I've got for you is adjustment. 
adjustment. He makes adjustments. See, first you make an assessment, then you make an adjustment. He says, I'm not satisfied with where I am. Verse 12, go to verse 12. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And he goes on to verse 13. Brothers and sisters, I do not yet consider myself to take hold of it. But one thing, oh, there's, that, there's that phrase, one thing. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So he says, I forget what's behind. All right, stop looking at the past. I'm gonna stop living life in the rearview mirror. I don't know if you ever tried to drive while watching rearview mirror. Bad, bad idea. Don't do that. Okay, he makes an honest assessment and he doesn't deny his past. Get this, he does not deny his past. All through scripture, he's talking about where he was. He does not deny his past, does not try to hide his past, doesn't try to cancel his past. Cancel culture is not part of Paul's theology. Okay, he doesn't ignore his past, but he turns from his past and turns towards the future. What a great thing. If you don't hear anything else today, I want you to hear that. Right? This is what I love about the Christian faith. What I love about my faith in Christ is that every day is a new day. Every day is a new chance, a new beginning. Yesterday is in the rearview mirror. Yesterday, you could have been the biggest hypocrite in the state of Kentucky, but you don't have to be that today. Today is a new opportunity to turn your life around. I truly feel sorry, and I'm not saying this with any arrogance or pride. I truly feel sorry for people who are stuck and tied to their past. I've seen people do it, man. It's not pretty. Uh, living miserable lives because they don't know the good news that Jesus sets you free and gives you a new opportunity every day. Amen? Uh, they don't know the grace. They don't know the new day that Jesus offers everyone. How miserable you must be living life looking backwards. I'm miserable. That's going to end a disaster for you. You're going to constantly trip, constantly stumble. You'll never reach the goal where you're supposed to go if you're living life looking backwards. You're, you're, you never overcome your past by looking straight at it, y'all. Okay? The Bible's full of stories of people who met Jesus and got sent in a different direction. Somebody in here says, well, you don't know my past. You, you don't know what, what I've done. You don't know, you know, that, that may be cool for Paul, and for those, but, but, but not for me. Well, I hate to say it, but you're not a special case. The Bible's full of stories of people who met Jesus, got sent in a different direction. Apostle Paul said, persecute the church. So they met Jesus and went in a different direction. Zacchaeus, the, the, the tax collector. Remember, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and wee little man was, VBS is, I'm already in VBS mode, y'all. Okay, all right. He was a crook, he was a thief, he was a sinner his whole life, and he met Jesus. Jesus sent him in a different direction. A Samaritan woman, the woman at the well, who had had five husbands, and now she was currently living with a man that was not, she was married to, met Jesus. He sent her off in a different direction okay thief on the cross next to Jesus a guy was getting executed for his crimes and he met Jesus and Jesus turned his eternity around okay listen yesterday's gone it's behind you tomorrow's never promised all you have is today there's a world famous philosopher named Master Ugwe <laughs> from Kung Fu Panda yeah and he said this the past is history the future is a mystery Today is a gift, and that's why it's called the present. It's okay to know your past. It's okay. It's part of your story. It's okay. It's okay to understand your past. There's no, then there's no need to deny your past, y'all. But don't cancel your past. Don't dwell on your past. 
You make an adjustment and look for the, to the future. Warren Wasserby, a great Bible teacher, said this. I love this. Man, I wish I would have come up with this. But God chose more brilliant people than me to come up with stuff like this. He goes, your past is a rudder to guide you, not an anchor to drag you. We must learn from the past, but don't live in the past. It's a rudder to guide you, not an anchor to drag you. I love that. Okay? All right? There's an essential part thing that many people don't do. And that's why they're, they're still living like they are. Okay? People say, oh, man, I'm fired up about this, you know, not being chained to my past. But what, what do I have to do? Well, there's a certain thing that's become very unpopular in churches that is essential that Paul talks about here. It's a thing called repentance. Repentance. Repentance means to turn your life around. Okay, it means, it, repentance means you're living a life of sin and you turn from that life of sin. You know, you, guys, we're, we're gonna keep living in the past no matter what, our, what, no matter what we do if we don't repent. Okay, if you're here today and you're engaged in any kind of sin, any kind of sin, God is calling you to repent from that. Okay, turn from that. This passage Paul is talking about though, he's not talking about turning away from sin. He's simply looking at his Christian walk, how he lives for God and not being satisfied with where he is. Simply saying, I'm not where I should be. I'm just not where I want to be. I want to know Christ more fully. I want to know more and more and more. So he makes an assessment. Then he makes an adjustment. And then oh, yeah, the third word for you is this, advancement. It's not just turning. He actually wants to advance. Verse 12, 13, and 14, he says, I press on. I'm not just turning. I'm moving, I'm moving forward to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me, forgetting what is behind. And, and I'm not just turning. I strain forward toward the goal to win the, win the prize, which God called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He is in it to win it, okay? Paul's not wanting a participation trophy. He's not wanting that. He's in it to win it. I got in the race, and there I am in last place. Where's my trophy? That is not in Paul's theology, okay? He's throwing off everything and anything that gets in the way of running this race, and I'm calling you guys to do that too. I had a very short an extremely average track career. Extremely average. When I say extremely average, it's being generous, okay? I didn't even get a participation trophy. All the participation trophies have been given out by the time I crossed the finish line. I think the judges had even gone home by the time I, you know, the only applause I heard was crickets. When I passed the finish line, I, you know, the lights were off, the custodians gone home. I think mom and dad had even gone home at that point, okay? Uh, I'll never forget the day in track practice, our coach gave us sandbags to carry. I ran the 400, and I did triple jump. Those were my events. And we put, he put a sandbag, a 20-pound sandbag, on each shoulder. And we had to run, I had to run the 400, which was one lap around the track, with sandbags on, on me. Now, I wasn't a great runner anyway. And this, he said this would make me faster. Well, it didn't. Okay, it didn't work. And I had to do triple jump with these. It's, it's a, it's a, you do three jumps, okay? Uh, I had to do that with sandbags. And I'm telling you, every step was laborious. Every step was, was just knocked the wind out of you. And I see so many of you all doing the same thing. You're really trying to run this race, but you've got some sandbags that you haven't thrown off yet. Maybe it's a bad attitude. Maybe it's some toxic behaviors you inherited from your parents or from your family. Maybe it's disconnection. Maybe it's just an aversion to trusting people. Maybe it's just toxic thoughts 
a lack of trust in God, private sins that you love more than God, whatever it is, those are sandbags that are wearing you down and weighing you down from this race and is stopping you from advancing, okay? And what Paul talks about, he does two things here. One, he specifically focuses his eyes on the prize to know Jesus and to know him fully. He's throwing off everything. He's throwing off those sandbags that are holding him back, okay? You guys know what your sandbags are. I don't have to tell you. You know exactly what, because the Holy Spirit's telling you right now what your sandbags are. He's bringing them to mind right now, okay? All right? I know some of you don't like Christopher Columbus. He's generally considered the one who discovered America, but he didn't really land there. He just kind of saw it from the, from the shore and everything, and he saw, so he saw it, but he didn't see the vast country that America was. He, he didn't see what would become the state of California. He couldn't see all that. He just saw the coastline. Guys, that's what it's like with Jesus. You, you, you get a glimpse of him, and, and then, but there's so much more, and so much more, and the longer you live, the more God reveals, and more God reveals, and more God reveals. Paul says, I want to know him fully. I don't want any part of Christ not off limits to me. I want to know him fully more and more and more, all right? Do you know how bad his heart must have hurt, though, when he looked back on his past. You know how bad his heart must have hurt? Let me explain it to you, okay? He, 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 how much his heart must have hurt to know that he destroyed the church, that he hated people like you and me who would love him and embrace him. I, I would imagine at night, when everything was quiet, he could still see the faces of the people he killed simply for believing in Jesus Christ. And they appeared and Satan brought them back to his mind to try to stop him from running the race. Uh, how many people he had jailed? How many families he destroyed? How many people he had beaten? How many times his mind must have gone to that moment, guys? Y'all know what I'm talking about because the, Satan does that to you too, right? Yeah, especially at night. How much time he wasted doing the wrong thing probably led him to crushing depression, I would imagine. All right, can you imagine actually killing someone yourself for being a Christian and then finding out later that Jesus is the Son of God and your only comfort is the fact that when you enter heaven, that person that you killed will be plotting you. Or those people, or that church destroyed. If, you, if, if he had constantly looked back, y'all, if he lived in the rearview mirror, he never would have gone on the four missionary journeys, went on, never planted all those churches, never preached in all the synagogues, never written half the New Testament that leads and guides our lives today. Okay, have you ever thought how God made your physical body? Humans are funny. We're funny looking. We really are. Um, think, think about your arms. They're made to reach forward, right? Okay, uh, your ears kind of curl forward. Some of us have more, more curl forward than other. Look at your Feet, which way did God put them in your body? Did we run faster forward or faster backward? We we're designed to go forward. What about your eyes? God put them in the front of your, only moms have eyes in the back of their head. They're the only ones that God created with eyes in the back of their head. Luke 9, 62, Jesus talks, he says, no one who, who, who uh, puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Even Jesus was saying that. Paul can't look back. He said, there are too many lost people in front of me to save, too many churches to start. I can't cloud my mind with past memories. I'm straining forward, and I'm going to accomplish the prize. My eyes are focused on the, on, on the finish line. He's specifically focused, okay? And, and he says this. He, he says, I'm not going to stop talking to the cheerleaders. I'm not going to stop at the concession stand when I'm running this race. 
I am, uh, I, I'm going for the goal. I, I, I have to forget about what I've done, okay? And it also has to forget about the pain I've suffered in life. And I've got to focus on the time when I cross the finish line, when I see Jesus face to face. That's the only thing that matters in my life is what Paul is saying. Advancement. He moves forward. He's advancing. He's striving. And he's moving forward, which means he's not going to quit. I love what Pele said. You can't beat someone who won't quit. Let's let Satan learn that lesson from us, amen? All right, not only is he specifically focused, but this, he's specifically faithful. I want you guys to write this down. He's, he's especially focused, but he's specifically faithful. See, there, there's a lot of things that'll tempt you to quit, you all. Believe me, I, I, I get them all. I get them all. They'll tempt you to quit, but he's not quitting. To press on means to relentlessly pursue, to throw off all things that would stop you. He's not quitting. The craziest thing about this, about this text is not what he writes. It's where he is when he writes this. Check this out, y'all. Y'all know where Paul was? Some of you Bible scholars know where Paul was when he wrote this? He was in prison. He wrote this letter from a Roman jail cell. Okay? He's in a prison cell. He's over 60. And that was probably past the life expectancy of the day. All right? He's, if I was over 60 and in prison, well, you know what I would be doing? Woe is me. I'd be complaining, whining, asking God why he's forsaken me. I'm in here because of you. I, I, didn't, I didn't commit any crime. I'm here because I've been faithful to you. And this is the reward I get for following you. That's what I would be. That's what I'd be doing. But he, 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 doesn't, he, he doesn't say that. He believes, even though he's in prison, that he's still in the race. You get that? He's still in the race. He's in prison. He's still in the race. He's done more in his 30 years than all of us put together. He's been on four missionary journeys, planting churches all over the known world, all without the internet and TikTok. He doesn't have any of that, all right? He's been beaten for his faith. His back was probably nothing but scars. He's been shipwrecked, been left for dead, arrested in prison over 60 and probably not getting out, probably gonna die soon. And his assessment of his life is I'm not yet where I need to be. Wow. He goes, so whatever time I've got yet left, I'm gonna use every ounce of my energy to press on towards the goal. If I get out of this prison, or if I never get out of this prison, if I got 10 days to live or 10 years to live, I'm telling everyone about the beauty and awesomeness in the name of Jesus Christ. All right? He's not running with his legs, running with his heart, with his pen, with his words, his focus. Now, I wasn't there when he, when he, when he wrote this. I'm not that old. My kids think I was, but I'm not, Okay? I wasn't there, but I will guarantee this. The very next guard that brought him slop that passed for food or raised a whip to beat him, he's like, oh, oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. Before you do that, let me tell you about Jesus Christ and the fact that you can be sure of going to heaven when you die. I guarantee it. Okay? So after advancement, he gives us the fourth word, admonishment. So he makes an assessment, makes some adjustments, and then he, he says, I'm advancing, and then he gives us some admonishments, some people he knew would come, before, come after him. He's got a little word for you and me who are, who are reading. All of us then who are mature, verse 15, 16, should take a, such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. The, verse 15, those of us who are mature. You know, God's, that's God's goal for you, is to be mature. He doesn't want you to be immature. He wants you to grow. He wants you to pass the elementary, uh, uh, elementary school. He wants you to move to middle school, to high school, to, to graduate school and everything in your faith. He wants you to be mature. A lot of immaturity in the church. And it's, and it's that way be, by choice. 
We have more access to the scripture, more access to sermons, more access to worship music, more access to teachers, more access to churches than any people on the face of the planet in any time in history. There's no reason for us to not be mature in our faith. None. Okay? And a lot of immaturity here. He wants you to be mature. Then he goes on to verse 17. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just if you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. He says, follow my example. I'm in prison for my faith and I'm preaching Christ. I want you to follow my example. It's amazing. that you imagine the guts it took for a human being to say, follow my example? How many of you all have the guts to look at the rest of people in this church and say, hey, follow my example. I, I want you to follow me. I, I'm going to be the example for what a Christian man or a Christian woman looks like. I want you to follow my example. Anybody got those kind of guts? I know what most people say. Like, hey, hey, don't follow me. Hey, follow Jesus. Don't, don't follow me. And he's telling us to follow his example. He's making an honest assessment, few adjustments, striving, pressing on relentlessly to pursue this thing of God. Remember, he was in jail when he wrote this. And he's telling us this, follow my example. I not, don't quit just because things got a little tough or because they get a little tough. To keep serving, even if you get your feelings hurt. To keep sharing Christ, even if no one wants to hear what you have to say. All right? To keep standing on your convictions. To keep giving and when you don't feel like it. The sad truth because I love you, I gotta tell you the sad truth. So many of us used to do things. So many of us used to serve. We used to volunteer. We used to lead a community group. Used to tithe. Used to attend church. Used to witness. Used to study the word of God. We used to do all that stuff. And then a little storm came your way and you quit. This church would be one of the Kentucky's biggest churches if people simply didn't quit. People just stopped quitting. And we had some storm damage our house Sunday. Two weeks ago, my, my daughter got married, yeah. And so we were at the reception late helping clean up, and, and we drove home basically right when, right when the severe weather hit. How many of y'all lost power two weeks ago, two Sundays ago? Yeah, we, we had a power knocked out and everything. Okay, it, the road conditions, were so, the, the rain was so, so tremendous and the, the road conditions were so bad that my wife actually drove the speed limit. It's incredible. It's like, it's like new territory for her. She was like, this is awesome. I, you know, but uh, that, that's how bad it was, y'all. Okay, um, first time for everything. Uh, we, we lost power like most everybody else did and and the next day, we had massive tree limb down in our backyard. And it wasn't, it, 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 it had fallen over like about 15 feet up, and it had fallen into the crook of another tree. And it was as massive, as probably, the tree limb was probably this big around. It was laying you know, parallel to the ground, 15 feet off the ground. So I got it in my, my ladder, and I got my chainsaw, and I was like, if I do this thing falls this way, it's not good, you know. So I had to I had to do some assessing and everything. But it was a while before I could get to it. And you guys, you know, I noticed something about it. The first day after the tree limb fell down, it looked fairly identical to the tree limbs that were still on part of the tree. But you know what happened a couple days later? The tree, the 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 leaves on the down limb started to look a little different. See this right here. You can tell which ones are dead and which one are alive. That was about five days after the storm. The ones that were connected to the, to the tree and were receiving nourishment from the soil were alive. They were green. 
the ones that were cut off, even though they looked okay for a couple days maybe, a little short period of time, that's what they wound up looking like. They were dead. And the same is true when you connect, disconnect from church and from God. You look okay for a little while. Yeah, you look okay. You, you look like a tree branch that just fell down. You, your leaves are still green and everything like that, but you've been cut off. And within a year, you look like a dead tree branch spiritually. No life, no hope, no peace, no joy. And that's what's happening to us and so many of our families, you all. We've just quit. Okay, we stopped showing up. Sometimes that spiritual death, though, doesn't show up for a few generations. This is the concept that keeps me up at night because I, not just in my family, but for your families as well, there's a thing called the fourth generation fade that, that we're seeing in real time right here. Take this out. Fourth generation fade is this. Generation one, parents don't make church a high priority for the kids. Generation two, those kids grow up and make it less of a priority for their kids. Generation thir third generation, those kids grow up and make it no priority for the kids. And then for, by the fourth generation, those kids grow up with no concept of God. It's called the fourth generation fade. Priorities today impact generations. Instead of following Paul's example of continuing, of not quitting, of pressing on, they simply quit. They stop showing up. Well, I want to provide you a different vision for that. Emmett Smith was one of the greatest, was the greatest running back of all time in the NFL. Played for a little team called the Cowboys. Not many Cowboys fans. Uh, yes, they are still a team. They just haven't won in a while, okay? But Emmett Smith was the NFL's leading rusher. He rushed for 18,335, uh, 355 yards. His goal, every time he got the ball was a touchdown. His goal was a touchdown every single time. But his average carry, four yards. Emmett Smith got four yards every, uh, the average, uh, a carry. And every time he got the ball, 11 guys tackled him with one goal in mind to break every bone in his body, okay? And he'd get back up. And he'd get back in the huddle, and they hand him the ball 4,588 times. He did that 4,588 times. And every time they gave him the ball, he'd get four yards. He'd get tackled by people that didn't like him very much. And that's how you got to get to be the leading rusher in the NFL, y'all. You just keep getting back up and getting in the huddle. And you keep doing the best you can. Most of us would get hit one time. Oh, I'm out of here. That's it. I'm done. I ain't living a life getting hit like that, okay? I'm finding another sport, what most of us would do, and that's why we're not the leading rushers. That's why he is. Don't ever quit. Don't ever quit. We need some spiritual Emmett Smiths in here. Goal's a touchdown. Doesn't matter if you get four yards. This matters if you get back up and get back in the huddle, okay? And let God give you the ball again, and then, then get hit, then get back up, get in the huddle, that's what we need. We need some spiritual Emmett Smiths in here. The guy was walking on a beach, and he found a genie lamp. And he picked it up, and he rubbed it. And genie popped out and said, um, I'm only half a genie. Instead of giving three wishes, I can only give one. What do you want? And the guy thinks. He goes, hmm, I got it. I want a newspaper dated one year from today. And genie's like, Okay, he goes, yeah, I wanna look at the stocks. I wanna know what stocks are gonna be, where, so today I can invest all my money in it and be a millionaire. And Gene's like, done. In his, in his hands appears a newspaper dated one year from that day. And he looks at the stocks, and everything sees what's doing real well. 
dumps all of his money into those stocks. He's feeling good about himself till he flips to the back page and there are the obituaries. And right there is his name. Changes things, doesn't it? What good would those man's investments be if you're not around to enjoy them? See guys, the plain and simple truth is we are all going to finish this race called Christianity. We're either gonna die or Jesus is gonna return. We're all gonna finish the race, okay? The day of your, your death has been appointed since before you were begun. That's what Psalm 139 says. All my days were, were written about me before I even came to be. God has a time and a day for your death. He does. You look at Psalm 139, it says it clearly. So why do we worry about so many things? Why do we get so fired up about the things of this world that are just gonna be like those investments? Instead, focus your mind, your life, your goal, your passion on one thing, knowing Jesus Christ fully and completely. Throw off everything else and go after him with everything that you are. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Make that your marching orders this week. God bless you. We'll see you next Sunday. Bye-bye.